Welcome back, everybody. I'm Northeast Regional Editor Paul Burton at the Bond Buyers National Outlook Conference at the Metropolitan Club here in Midtown Manhattan. We hope you're enjoying, enjoying our coverage of the conference. Our next guest is Michael Imber. He is a Managing Director at Eisner Amper's Public Sector Advisory Practice. Michael has extensive experience counseling clients on bankruptcies, workouts, and municipal consulting. He represented major unsecured creditors in the Detroit bankruptcy and generated 100% recoveries in the largest unsecured creditor claimants in the Jefferson County and Mammoth Lakes Chapter 9 cases. Michael is also a member of the Connecticut Pension Sustainability Commission. Michael, great to see you again. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're enjoying the conference. I'm very much enjoying it, and Paul, thank you for having me. Now, you just moderated a discussion on long-term pension liabilities and trends. Uh, tell us about it. You had some prominent people, including Jim Spiato, Bill Glasgow, and some bond rating analysts, too. Absolutely. Um, we covered two broad themes. One was, what are some current trends? We talked about uh, market volatility expected in 2019 and how this is going to be a catalyst for um, creating and heightening awareness of pension underfunding and the need for reform. Um, we talked about rising employer contribution costs, uh, that you know the crowding out problem seems to be getting worse. Bill Glasgow from the Volcker Alliance uh, showed us a little heat map, and uh, a startling statistic was that about two-thirds of the states, 33 states, are showing moderate to severe stress in uh, the combination of pension and health care and debt service legacy obligations as a percentage of the overall budget. That's so an eye opener. That is a big eye opener. So um, we need to uh, get serious about fi finding some solutions. All right. Uh, what are some of the takeaways from what was talked about at the conference uh, okay. on your panel? Uh, well, uh, one of the things that uh, is, is interesting is that with the advent of the change in control of Congress, um, there is a lot more talk about Medicare for all. The democratically controlled House is advocating uh, an approach where the government, through Medicare, becomes the single payer in our health care system. And some candidates who've recently announced to run for president have even gone so far as to say they would eliminate the private health insurance market. Um, it's still early days, but from the perspective of state and local governments, they might very much like to have Uncle Sam take the burden of health care insurance off the, uh, off the shoulders of of these governments that are struggling on a pay-go basis to cover retiree health care. Uh, Jim Spiato, a bankruptcy and a pension expert out in Chicago, we know Jim uh, very well. One of the things he said is that you might see more commissions like the one in Michigan to oversee local pension funds and provide guidance. That, that was very interesting. It was very interesting. Um, the state of Michigan passed legislation, I think it was like a year ago, November, November of 2017, that basically mandated all cities, towns, and counties to come up with a plan on how they're going to address OPEB liabilities, um, other post-employment benefit, retiree health care. Um, and um, Michigan took some criticism 
for doing that because they said, come up with a plan, but they didn't offer a whole lot in the way of suggestions on what the alternatives could be that they might consider. Uh, more than that, um, the Michigan approach, I don't think had much in the way of teeth or at least not explicit teeth of what's the consequence if you don't come up with a plan. Uh, they'll always find a way to incentivize you somewhere down the road with municipal aid, but that's, that, that wasn't part and parcel of the legislation. But um, I can cite another example in Connecticut um, where I live. The state is addressing part of its pension underfunding through the creation of the Pension Sustainability Commission. And you're on the panel. And I'm on that commission, and uh, we are evaluating the potential of using the state's owned assets to make an in-kind contribution to offset the pension underfunding. Cities in Connecticut can do a similar thing. In Hartford fact, did that with Batterson Park. Hartford is, did it with Batterson Park, is exactly right. But there are five cities in Connecticut, um, Danbury, Waterbury, Hartford, Bridgeport, and New Haven, that in the aggregate, I think, have $2 billion of pension underfunding. And some of those cities have some really valuable assets that they could set up their own trust to make in-kind contributions. They could even throw in with the state if the state chose to go that path. So there, there, there is some innovation that's being explored right now. We don't have all the answers yet, but uh, we always have hope. Well, it's a, very, it's a very fluid situation in Connecticut, and I covered a couple of those meetings up at the Capitol. Yes, you did. And uh, Mr. Steinberg's done a very energetic job, and uh, the people like yourself. State Representative Jonathan Steinberg. From Westport, right? From Westport, and he's the chairman of the Pension Sustainability Commission. Right. Now, that's a, this is a subject near and dear, dear to you, the in-kind in, in assets. Uh, and uh, it's fascinating, but it's also very complex. Uh, what benefits do you see, and how do you navigate some of the sticky legal matters? We could be here for another hour just talking about that. Let me, let me just, I'll, I'll give you the simplest explanation of the in-kind asset contribution. Think of Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> what does Grandma Connecticut have up in the attic that she's not really using <laughs> yeah. that might be this hidden gem? that could be used for a higher and better use. Um, give you an example, Connecticut holds all forms of raw land, some of which uh, you want to preserve for the forests, and that's fine, but you've also got bits and pieces here and there that you'll probably never be able to develop. What would happen if Connecticut were to assemble all of this land, or at least the larger tracts of it, and throw up solar panels and sell a concession to an energy provider that would pay the state or pay the pension for the privilege of putting solar panels on that land. You've got a green energy solution going on. You've created new private sector jobs for the maintenance and installation of solar panels. We've got a couple of solar panel manufacturers in Connecticut that would love to be able to sell into a situation like this. And uh, you could just get a whole multiplier effect from creating value on raw land that didn't have much value in the first place. You take a non-cash flowing asset into a cash flowing asset and the pension gets the benefit of the increased value of that asset over time as opposed to trying to sell an asset today for its fair market value and letting somebody else get the upside. 
And one of the things po uh, worth pointing out is that other options are limited. You don't want to raise taxes, you don't want to cut services, and you don't want to get into pension bonds. So this is a right. That's exactly option D, which is a yes. It's 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 a way of driving the numerator without increasing taxes. And in fact, one of the things I like about this approach is if we get it up off the ground, whether it be in Connecticut or somewhere else, and we see that it makes a difference, it gives the legislature an incentive to create an environment where these assets can grow. And the assets grow further, and by the way, to use that tired metaphor, rising tide lifts all boats, everybody else benefits too. So you can create a pro-growth business environment in a state that needs to dig its way out. And if you listen to Governor Lamont in his State of the State speech right after the inauguration a few weeks ago, he says very explicitly, the way out of our troubles is to grow business. He wants to do some progressive things. He wants to raise the minimum wage. He wants to provide health care. That's all great. But at the end of the day, the only way we dig ourselves out of these legacy obligations is to grow the economy. And Jim Spiato said it's much better to do it outside of a courtroom. Uh, Jim Spiato was right about that. <laughs> you don't want to be in court. You're never going to get a happy solution there. Your in-kind thing has been done a lot uh, elsewhere worldwide. And I always think of the name Doug Detter, somebody who, who both of us know. And, and Doug, uh, for, our, for our newer listeners, is a Swedish urban planner. I did a podcast with him. Uh, he talked to us from Stockholm. I met him over coffee in uh, one of his visits to New York. Fascinating guy and always nice to him. He's got a whole boatload of fresh ideas. He's written two books, The Public Wealth of Nations and The Public Wealth of Cities, and he's not worried about being sued by the descendants of Adam Smith. Okay, now uh, Bill Glasgow, one of the things he pointed out on this panel is that uh, the trouble with pension bonds, depending on the state, you could be trading a soft liability for a hard one, uh, uh, something that can be negotiated versus something that's covenanted. And uh, uh, it's hard to go back on the covenanted thing without some risk of default. Uh, that's, that's exactly right. It's, it's one thing to try and negotiate with the pension fund uh, or ne don't negotiate with them and just simply underfund it, as so many states have done. But it's another thing to solidify your obligation with a bond. You've just transferred the liability from the government's responsibility to meet it or not meet it to a bunch of bondholders who expect you to pay regularly on time. You can't default on that without fear of cross-defaulting a lot of other bonds. So you put yourself really at risk when you use pension obligation bonds. And there's all sorts of other problems with pension obligation bonds, including uh, intergenerational risk transfer, which is a very fancy way of saying we've just given this liability that we should have been paying for the last 20 years to our grandchildren. And that's just not fair to them. I'm always in favor of explaining things in plain English. <laughs> Michael Ember, some final thoughts. Um, I think that there is a lot of smart thinking going on, some innovative thinking going on in the world of, of using assets. Um, I consider myself an asset evangelist, and there are a few other of my colleagues out in the marketplace that have similar ideas. And there isn't just one idea that's going to solve it for everybody. There'll be different solutions for different situations, but I think we owe it to ourselves to really dig in and explore these ideas and take them to their logical conclusion uh, before we throw in the towel and say, 
we can't do this. Michael Ember, Eisner Amber's Public Sector Advisory Practice. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Paul.